Greetings, cinephiles. Are you looking for a movie analysis podcast that stands above the rest? Then look no further than Collateral Cinema, the only movie podcast that matters. We analyze good movies, we analyze bad movies, and yes, we also analyze the in-betweens of the world of cinema. So if you like what you hear, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. And yes, my friends, we are 420 friendly. So when you listen to us, smoke smoke it it if you've got got it. it. And now... Here's a new episode of Collateral Gaming. The show starts right now. I'm Ashley Chancellor. And I'm Bo Maddox. And this is Collateral Gaming, the Halloween special. Welcome to Collateral Gaming, the only video game podcast that matters, where we focus on good games, bad games, and everything else in between in the world of gaming. We are podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas, and yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast, so whatever you have, smoke it if you've got it. And happy Halloween, folks! Happy Halloween! It's the spooky season. Time <laughs> to play spooky games. Spooky games, yeah. Spooky games. Yeah, we've got a real spooky one here for you. Uh, we're actually recording about an hour uh, till midnight, so uh, halfway through this recording, or, or you know, maybe towards the end of it, we may we may actually be on actual Halloween day here, which would be pretty cool. But uh, today we are talking about the 1995 Super Famicom game Clock Tower, not to be confused with its sequel, which was called Clock Tower in the U.S. on the PlayStation One. It's a little confusing there, but I mean, they're they're both fundamentally kind of the same game. Fundamentally, yeah. yeah. And we covered the PlayStation 1 version of Clock Tower, or what is actually known in Japan as Clock Tower 2, on our uh, Collateral Gaming bonus round episode last season. Uh, we covered that along with Resident Evil Survivor, and that was a fun time. I actually was genuinely impressed. Uh, had not played the game all the way through, but I really, really enjoyed what I did get to play. And whenever I was kind of shooting the shit with you and, and you know trying to figure out what games we wanted to do this season, you suggested, well, why don't we go back and do the original Clock Tower? Yeah, I mean, it just kind of seemed like the right game to do here because, I mean, it's a very atmospheric game for for something that came out on, you know, SNES and everything. So... I mean, it's really dripping with just all types of really gothic horror, kind of. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, going back and now playing the original Super Famicom game, uh, I can definitely see where the uh, the second game, the PlayStation 1, got, you know, kind of its roots from. But this game also kind of defined the survival horror genre in a lot of ways uh, well before Resident Evil ever did. Yeah, and it's kind of strange that a lot of people really don't talk about this series that much in that particular context, you know? I mean... Well, I mean, owing 
to that is the fact that this game was never localized uh, in, in the United States. I mean, this game was released in Japan on the Super Famicom. It later got ports for the PlayStation 1 and Windows and the Wonderswan of all things, but none of those actually ever happened in the States. So if you mention Clock Tower, most people think of the PlayStation 1 game, and not the PlayStation 1 port of this game, but the game that is it called <laughs> Clock Tower 2 in Japan, which is funny because that game actually starts after this game and references the events of the first game. Yeah. Which I found a little bit disorienting the first time I played it, but it, it's a game that you can still pick up and play. I mean, they kind of explain the events of the first game to you uh, within the first you know few minutes of the game, but... Even so, uh, I-, I was happy to be able to go back and play it. And let me tell you, I actually got real acquainted with this game. I have seen every ending that you can get. And there are multiple from uh, uh, H through A. And then there's the secret S ending that you can get where you actually can end up with uh, one of the other characters, one of your friends surviving. <laughs> Yeah, it's really interesting how these different playthroughs really vary, like, any time you play this game. I mean, there, there's a lot of replay value to this. Yeah, no, there is. I think that actually adds to the replay value, and that's something that it shares in common with uh, the other Clock Tower games, right? Yeah, it does. I mean, there were, like, two other Clock Tower games that came out after the PS1. There, there was an actual Clock Tower 2, which was a sequel to the PlayStation game, and then there was Clock Tower 3, which is kind of its own thing in a way. Right. Yeah. And so the game that we know as Clock Tower on the PlayStation 1 is actually a sequel to this game and references the events of it. Um, It's not clear which of the endings is canon, but I think it's anything from C through S, if I'm not mistaken. Any of the good endings where Jennifer comes out alive, I think, is valid. Yeah. I mean, the the PlayStation game... It makes a lot more sense now, having played this, of course, you know, because, I mean, that's what was weird. This was our first actual uh, exposure to this particular series, and, you know, they just kind of threw you right there at the, like, like the the main uh, cutscene that's playing before you start the game. It pretty much shows the uh, ending of of Clock Tower, the, the SNES game. Right. And... I mean, it still doesn't really say what is actually canon there. I mean, I guess if we play through Clock Tower on PS1 again, we might get a better understanding of it, but... Yeah, I can't remember if they even mention if any of Jennifer's friends ended up alive, because, I mean, that that is the one major change you can make by getting the, the S ending, is that uh, either Laura or Anne, whoever doesn't get killed in the uh, first kill cutscene, uh, can make it out alive, depending on what choices you make. But not Lottie. No, Lottie or Lot or however the fuck her name is pronounced uh, does not make it out alive. And uh, yeah, either Laura or Anne has to die in the beginning, depending on uh, which cutscene you get. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Although that cutscene in and of itself kind of really defines the experience that you get. It's it's, uh, after which you get the first chase sequence. So most players are going to investigate the bathroom because it's kind of on your natural path through the the mansion and uh, you even kind of get a little bit of a a sound effect and and Jennifer will stop indicating, hey, go check out, you know, what's going on in the bathroom. And so you open it up and you look and in the shower is Laura hanging dead. And then Bobby, the scissor man, pops out of the water. I don't know. Was he holding his breath? I mean, yeah, 
I, I really that's one of the things that I really like about this game is that it really truly plays like like a, a slasher movie. You know, it's like you're playing a real slasher movie and you're playing the final girl. Yeah, and it's it's a very simple story. Like any slasher movie, the main plot uh, just revolves around here's the killer, get away from him, get out. And uh, Jennifer very much embodies the final girl stereotype in a lot of ways. Oh, all the way. I mean, a particular slasher that, I don't know, I kind of felt like this had the same feel as is probably the Scream series a little bit. It kind of has that vibe, just a lot more supernatural. Funny enough, uh, this movie was actually inspired by... uh, Italian horror. Oh, okay. Uh, most that... notably, Phenomena from Dario Argento. Oh man, Argento is the shit. Let me tell you. Uh, of course, he made Suspiria and Deep Red and uh, Tenebrae, but uh-huh. Phenomenon is interesting because it's very much a it, it's a supernatural movie, but it's about a, a girl who, if I remember correctly, she has an ability to communicate with insects or something like that. Interesting. Yeah, and it leads to this whole uh, giallo mystery. There are uh, some supernatural aspects, actually, to this game, which uh, is a little bit deceptive. I, I kind of felt the same way about uh, the other Clock Tower game. But, uh, yeah, no, like, inspecting the right parts of the environment and then, you know, completing the game till con- to its conclusion, you'll, you'll start to see that some things are amiss. And I don't know if that's ever fully explained, but, yeah, there it is. I mean, there's the... the your enemy is not just the Scissor Man, but... Uh, supernatural forces and uh, that other twin that you get uh, that you encounter at the end of the game that <laughs> the blob Dan the, the Dan the blob yeah the cradle under the star <laughs> but yeah and there's just kind of this this uh, story that's built up actually over multiple playthroughs because uh, depending on what route you take to get to the end you're going to get different sides of the story including you know uh, a whole subplot with Jennifer's father and him ending up at the mansion yeah I never really got that playthrough I, I just played through it once and got like the sea ending or something I'm not really sure yeah yeah and I believe uh, in order to get the S ending, you actually have to do specifically that playthrough. But uh, for all of the other endings, it doesn't matter. It's just whichever one you can get to. Um, But you can either encounter Simon Barrows in the jail cell, or you can encounter Jennifer's father, Walter's corpse, uh, along with some notes. And uh, either way, you actually learn about uh, the, the, the true nature of Mary Barrows, and uh, some other mysterious goings-on. And, of course, uh, during your playthrough, if you learn about the clock tower, you'll end up getting a good ending. So uh, there, there are some uh, some mysteries surrounding the clock tower. This whole thing with uh, time will cause adherence. I didn't get that at all. I uh, didn't get that either, but yeah. I know if you flip the switches, that's what makes Bobby die, so... Something like that. I mean, Bobby doesn't actually se- seems to not like the sound. Uh, is he the same Scissorman that's in the the PS One game? I think so. I mean, the PS One game is very much a continuation of the story. Obviously, like like I said, it has pretty much the ending of the first game, like at the beginning of this game. So I I think so. I mean, they're very similar. Yeah, yeah. I want to say the Scissorman in that game. Uh, must be. I mean, he's just that he, he kind of looks the same, except here he's actually a kid. You're being chased by a child with giant scissors. <laughs> a, a very powerful child, a strong uh, d- demon child. 
<laughs> a strong demon child. Oh God! Uh, not only him, but also uh, Mary. You know, she's a character that you can encounter, and depending on the circumstances under which you encounter her, uh, she can uh, sh- she can lead you to a very quick ending, uh, lock you in a jail cell with a man that may in actually eat you alive or uh you know you you may have the sense to run away from her if you get a chance to uh and then of course the blob man at the end (laughs) but uh mainly the scissor man and what's notable about this game i think is that there is almost no music except for when a uh a pursuit sequence starts so most of the game, you're just going to be listening to Jennifer's footsteps uh, moving slowly through each hall of the mansion. And then when the music starts, you know that something's up. Yeah. <laughs> I think it really adds to that horror feel. Uh, and I, you know, I think we mentioned this earlier, this game, you can get through a playthrough very quickly. And yet the game is surprisingly slow paced. Yeah, I've never played a game like that where you can finish this in literally an hour, but it still feels like it's going at a glacial pace. You know? Yeah, and I think that kind of adds to the tension because the more you run, you actually deplete Jennifer's health or stamina or anxiety or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, I, I noticed that. That was I, I don't know if I really like that mechanic, you know? Uh, I think it, cause, it it forces the player to move through slowly and kind of take in your surroundings and kind of move at a pace. And um, it's really not the, all that difficult to work around either because when you run, uh, you deplete some of that, but then you can just sit still for a few minutes and replenish your health or drink a drink to do it. I, I think that there are various beverages that you can consume, although the only one I know of is the one in the kitchen, which has a chance to knock you out and, and leave, end you up in the jail cell. So, <laughs> Wonder what kind of liquor that was. <laughs> yeah, no it's kidding. Like, Jesus Christ. Mary can fix that cocktail for you as well uh, if you have not learned the truth about her upon uh, encountering her in the phone room. Another thing that's that's kind of cool about this game, which helps with subsequent playthroughs, is that rooms themselves will actually swap locations. And so uh, no one playthrough of this game is ever going to be exactly the same. I mean, even consulting a map online isn't going to help you very much because... Uh, there are various rooms that will swap locations with others. And so you never quite know where you're going or what you're going to find there. Key items will also appear or spawn in different locations depending on what you're doing or even what items that are needed to progress are going to be different. I mean, the other thing about that is just there's a real sameness to a lot of the uh, backgrounds in that game, you know? Yeah. A lot of sameness. So it's very easily to get kind of lost you know yeah i think it's it's kind of a similar feel to the spencer mansion in that regard because i mean yes there is a lot of the same but that also helps uh make the experience a little bit more disorienting because you're not quite sure which hall you're in at a glance you might forget you know what floor you're on or god forbid you uh you you play this game and then you know leave for a day or two and then pick it back up again and you're trying to remember what if what have I done in this playthrough and take a quick look through your inventory and see what items you have but even that's not going to tell you what all you've done and so there there is going to be a lot of backtracking uh and uh kind of just learning uh the mansion but unlike other survival horror titles you know it's not so easily learned like the back of your hand because every playthrough it's slightly different yeah I mean, and the random encounters can, you know, really uh, 
add to that as well, because uh, at, at different times when you enter a room, you may encounter the scissor man or you may not. <laughs> Sometimes there's going to be a fake out where a cat pops up. And there are also all these inexplicable items that are placed in, in, in uh, different areas where you may not even know what to do with that item. You may not have a use for it in that particular playthrough. But, you know, upon going through the game again, you might find a, a situational use for that one item. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's an OK mechanic. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it keeps you on your toes. I think that, uh, and some of the endings can be played kind of sub subsequently due to the way that this game loads. I mean, one thing about this game that is, is fairly forgiving is that whenever you die, the game actually loads you right back in whatever room you died in. So there is a little bit of a trial and error uh, aspect to it. You know, there's a one mirror I remember in the, the master bedroom that if you look at it, a hand will come out and choke you. And if you're not fast enough at hitting the panic button, you might die. So then you'll learn, okay, I'm not going to inspect that mirror next time. <laughs> but I like how the game at least drops you wherever you, you left. So it's not too punishing. There's just kind of a, you know, check everything out and see what happens. Feel to it, right? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. So you have played through the sequel, right? Uh, the sequel to the... To this game, the PS1 one. PS1. Oh, yes, of course I have. I mean, it, it's more or less fundamentally the same game. Just, with, just maybe, I don't know. Upgraded. I mean, for one, the Scissor Man is actually a persistent threat in that game. He is constantly stalking you uh, within the encounters that, sh that you have. I mean, the game kind of divides itself a little bit so that you have uh, the sections where you're trapped with the Scissor Man and, and sections where you're just interacting with people. But during those, those, those segments of the game where uh, he's pursuing you, he's constantly pursuing you. In this game, it's a little bit more scripted, although, like I said, they do there are random encounters. But he's fairly easy to get rid of. I mean, if you just walk, run into a room uh, that has a good hiding spot or you run into somewhere where, where you can lay a trap, uh, you can get rid of him, and he won't bother you again until you have uh, run into another random encounter. What's nice about this game is that you can kind of prep these rooms up, you know? Like, for instance, uh, when you go into the master bedroom over on the first floor, uh, there's a bed that you can hide under. But there's also a parrot in that room. Yeah, that parrot will actually alert the uh, scissor man to, or scissor boy, I guess it were. <laughs> he'll, he'll totally alert you to your position there. So it's like, it's kind of cool how in this game there's little things that you have to take into consideration if you want to actually you know, get through the game unscathed. Right, right. And so, you know, for me, I started kind of building up a, a way that I would play through this game, a, a, a structure, you know, and be like, okay, when I go into this room to get the perfume, let me also take care of the parrot first. So if I need to run into this, I can. Yeah, it's, it seems like it would be very easy to actually miss something important and like get really far into the game. And then you're just like, fuck, you know? Yeah. This one item, it, it just fucked me over. Right, exactly. Some items are just in the strangest of places. I mean, I, I remember thinking, like, what if I didn't go here and get the perfume or I didn't get the black robe? I mean, I would have been sitting around, you know, wandering around the mansion for, you know, possibly hours looking for this shit if I wasn't <laughs> as thorough as I am in checking everything. Yeah, yeah. But it is worth it, you know, to just kind of, it, again, it's a very survival horror aspect. You go into each room and you just kind of check 
everything out. I mean, there aren't even particular items that inspecting it was going to infect your ending. If you don't click on this particular item, you're going to get the bad ending. <laughs> I remember thinking uh, there's a garage that you can go into and there's a car and you, there's a car key in that room. Uh, but if you try to start the car, she goes, but the others... And I'm like, no, fuck you. Take the car, get out of there, get help, and then they save your friends. But as it turns out, if you continue to try to start the car, if you do it, I think, three times, she actually will leave, and you get a bad ending. Uh, yeah, that's right. The uh, the scissor man comes out from that, that good old horror trope of the killer in the back seat. Just comes up, you see the scissors, shing, shing, and then... Yeah, that's the bad ending. It's there are like, actually two bad endings associated with that. Yeah. Uh, if you watch one of your friends die uh, and, and you get that optional death, she does make it home, but it's stated that uh, she was found in her room dead. And uh, I, I don't know what the implications of that are, but <laughs> I like how, uh, in particular, you could, uh, let's see, I think if, if Laura dies, so if you go to the bathroom and get that scene, Anne's death is triggered by walking into a corridor, getting a scream, which I think has somewhat of a random chance, and then looking out the window. Yeah, apparently if you don't look out that window, it doesn't trigger it at all, right? She doesn't die. If you don't look out the window, she doesn't die. But what's funny is if she does die, there's actually a secret item that you can unlock. You can you can get the lantern in that room, and then you can get the key using the lantern, which unlocks the jail cell. Meaning that you can uh, you can prevent Lot or Lottie from coming over and and have and dying to take you out. Although she'll still die in the caves if yeah. she, if she's spared in that encounter. But Lottie was not meant for this world. Nope. No. <laughs> she wasn't. Nope. But uh, yeah, and apparently I didn't even know this, but I was watching some videos and you can even uh, jump out that window if you're in a chase really? sequence and uh, land crap. in the pool in the courtyard underneath. Holy crap. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Depending on uh, w w when Jennifer's in the chase state, she actually there's kind of an adrenaline system going on. Yeah, that's something that was translated into the PlayStation game as well. It's It's the idea of like panic horror, you know? Something that would uh, kind of be picked up by Dino Crisis uh, later on in the PlayStation's uh, lifespan. And, I mean, I, I like that mechanic. You know, it really gives you that oh shit, oh shit kind of uh, quality to it, you know? Yeah, while you're in panic mode, uh, Jennifer can will actually constantly run and it won't deplete her, her health. Or, and uh, she can also climb over things, jump over things, uh, cross chasms that she couldn't normally do in that panic. Uh, and uh, so, like, in, for instance, there's one room up in the upstairs where you have to move a box in order to climb over there. Well, if you go into that room and you haven't moved the box, but you're in pursuit mode, she'll actually climb that cabinet and move over. Uh, you just have to hit the panic button to do it. Or there's a chasm which, that you need a, uh, to lay a wooden plank across to to, to uh, progress normally. But if you're in panic mode, she can jump across that, and you actually have to use the rope to get down. And I didn't even know what the fuck the rope was used for. I never even ended up using the rope in my playthrough. So. I never did either. Yeah. It's a situational item that if for some reason you didn't use the wooden plank and you jumped across during a pursuit <laughs> sequence uh you you can manage to not get yourself stuck that way <laughs> oh wow yeah yeah and same same thing with the lantern and the the key that was aforementioned you know that's that's something that can only happen depending on how you play if Anne is the character that 
gets killed off by walking into the foyer or the courtyard, then uh, Laura can be found in a suit of armor in the phone room. Huh. But if you don't inspect the suit of armor, she's okay. (laughs) Now, I inspected this suit of armor, so that never happened, I guess. Well, so. in your playthrough, you came across Laura, which means that Anne's death happened via the, the Scream Corridor. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit different depending on... Who. See, again, it's situational. So it's whoever dies, uh, the other optional death that you can get <laughs> for the other character. So, yeah. But Jennifer can end her adventure alone uh, atop the clock tower or with a friend, I think, which is only achieved in the S ending. The a ending features the other character that managed to survive, but they die during that last scramble. So I guess the S ending is the best ending. That being said, I think the C ending is the most fun. That's the one that you got. That's the most action-packed sequence that you can get. It's actually, I think, the only one that after you get through the elevator, you actually end up being able to directly control the character. So it's more than just hitting the panic button at at specific uh events so uh and uh, actually has her uh run away and and kick mary off of the ladder and then wrestle the uh the bobby or the scissor man atop the clock tower so that one's <laughs> actually a lot of fun it actually was I, I i really had a good time i guess i mean as short as it was you know? It's very short. I think that's where the the replayability comes in. It's like playing through the game multiple times is kind of ideally what you want to do. And being able to, to uh, again, you know, get different p- parts of the story that you wouldn't normally get in one playthrough. Also, uh, save the crows. Save the crows, definitely. The crows come in handy. I also didn't know that if you run back into that room, the crows will help you. Really? During a chase sequence, yeah. There oh. are so many little secrets that I didn't pick up on because I just didn't do that specific thing. Makes me wonder if there's any real Easter eggs in this game or maybe even like some secret endings. Possibly. I mean, the S ending is, is secret, technically. If you go to the ending list, which the game does keep track of what endings you've cleared, uh, it only gives you A through H. S yeah. is actually a, a secret ending that you get by doing everything right and by playing a, through a specific... Uh, pathway well that makes sense s for secret (laughs) right yeah so uh i think uh to get that one you actually have to encounter uh walter uh you have to not get the uh, optional death so uh if uh, laura or ann dies you want to make sure that ann or laura doesn't die uh you have to save the crows uh you have to learn about mary and the clock tower Uh, and if you do all of that and you go to the third floor with the elevator, you'll get the best ending. But that's a lot to keep track of, especially, you know, like I said, if uh, you maybe you haven't uh, picked up a playthrough in a while. Like, you know, I, I was uh, trying to get actually a specific ending, and I had put the game down for a couple of days, and I picked it back up again, and I, I forgot what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. This, this doesn't seem like the type of game where you should span it out over a couple of days. You should just... Just blow through it in like one day. You honestly can. I mean, it's a very fast game, even considering playing through all of the playthroughs. And uh, again, some of them you can actually trigger uh, due to the way that the game loads. So um, yeah, you don't have to always start all the way over again whenever you complete a specific uh, uh, playthrough or you you get a specific ending. Hmm. But so uh, this game was developed by Human Entertainment. 
Um, they're actually mostly notable for the Clock Tower series, I believe. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I don't really think they really worked on much else of anything. I think they did a lot of licensed games in the back of the day, maybe. A lot of sports games, lot actually, of sports as, games, as it turns yeah. out. Sports and racing games, which yeah. is interesting. But Clock Tower is really, I think, all they're known for, uh, at least in the West. Um, which, you know, again, is a very niche point and click you know, survival horror game as it is. Let's talk about that, actually, because we haven't mentioned the point-and-click interface. Yeah, that's kind of what makes this game stand out a little bit. It's a point-and-click horror adventure. And, I mean, point-and-click, that was a very popular mechanic at the time. I mean, especially with, like, PC games and and a few PlayStation games here or there, like Discworld or Broken Swords or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think that this is probably the most accessible iteration of that type of gameplay, you know? Like, even on a uh, console controller like the PlayStation controller, it's it's not, it's pretty seamless, honestly. Yeah, and I think, like, some of like the early Resident Evil you know, or Silent Hill games, which used uh, fixed angles and uh, tank controls to disorient you, uh, this game's point-and-click interface can kind of... Uh, work to that advantage you know where like bobby's starting to chase you and you know you're trying to get away but you you gotta make sure that you point the cursor in this direction and start moving you know (laughs) certainly yeah although there are some handy shortcuts like if you hit the l and r buttons or l1 and r buttons you can actually do a quick run to the left or to the right which is nice i I found that to be the most useful uh, part of the controls to, to be to be honest yeah yeah. But, you know, once you get over the controls, they're not that hard to master. Uh, they're very simple. And, and I do appreciate that. But it, it does take a little bit of getting used to if you've never played a point and click. Yeah, I, can, I can't really say that that's a style of game that you can find nowadays. You know, really, you can't. I mean, but, I know there's a new uh, Monkey Island game coming out. So, yeah.
I mean, there might be some uh, some indie uh, developers that have made some games with that style, maybe, I'm, that I'm not aware of, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, I think that's what makes makes it pretty cool that they actually did this in a horror game like that, you know? I mean, it, it kind of helps the exploration feel, you know, a little more, what's the word? Uh, well, whatever that word is, that's what it is. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of weird also that this game isn't compatible with uh, the Super Nintendo accessory that was a mouse. I forget yeah, what that was called, but but, but it was uh, you you could use a PlayStation mouse with on it, the though. the PlayStation version, on the PlayStation yeah. version, yeah, yeah. They later ported this, and it's actually called uh, Clock Tower: The First Fear. Again, not released anywhere outside Japan, which is weird because you would think that they would take advantage of the opportunity of of the the sequel coming out to go ahead and and release the the newer port of the original game. But um, oddly enough. While it does make some improvements, uh, there are also some uh, detractions with that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there a little bit of the experience is lost. I'm actually glad that we played it the way that we did because we had to emulate this. That's really the only way that you can play this. Yeah, especially uh, with an English patch. It's it's the only way that you can play this in English. Right, you have to have an English patch, which means that you know you're. Uh, peer-to-peer playthroughs of this game may be a little bit different depending on which Eng- yeah. English patch we, you went with. Which now we that, actually ended up using different ones, I think, on your PS Classic versus me on my computer. I think so. And another thing is that you can actually get uh, fan-made reproduction cartridges of this game as well for this for the Super Nintendo. So, I mean, if you if you want to play it on original hardware, you can. That sounds actually really cool. I would actually like to, tr- to try something out like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it does, right? I mean, that, that's something that's really cool that's come out of the uh, retro gaming world in the last uh, five or ten years is repro cartridges. It's like, well, hell yeah. I mean, it, it's it's like the way to get like hard-to-find games from that era. Or, or even like new like homebrew games. Yeah, no kidding. I kind of would like to try the the PC version of this, actually. Yeah, that actually would be pretty cool. I mean, to be fair, you did emulate it on your your uh your laptop but <laughs> but i i actually played the super nintendo version on retroarch oh yeah that's right so you had to use the keyboard controls and everything i used the keyboard controls yeah yeah which for this game actually kind of work I, it's it's even if you're using with with the keyboard controls i mean that the point and click interface actually kind of uh it's not so bad especially like uh, Similar to how games with tank controls aren't so bad with arrow keys, uh, I did also play this by hooking up my my uh, my DualShock controller to my computer, uh, and uh, had oh, okay. favorable results with that as well. Okay, I see. Uh, and it plays pretty well on the PS Classic. I mean, as far as the emulation goes, uh, there weren't too many issues. I mean, some coloration bugs and whatnot. I had a couple of. Uh well, I want to say there were freezes. I probably just hit the pause button, but I don't know. Uh, one of those it times, felt... at least, that's actually exactly what you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, but there was a, at least one other time where it seemed to freeze for a second. I was just like, what the fuck? Well, the pause in this game is weird because like, if, if you have the music on, like if you're in a chase sequence, the music will keep playing, but you just won't be able to move anything. And if you're in a uh, place where there is no music and you just pause it, there's... Th- the only way that you're going to know that it's positive is if you try to unpause it, unpause it and everything. It's like, God damn it. Why does that have to be so janky? Yeah, like, like the cursor will just not move. It just won't do anything. Nope. Which is interesting. But, I mean, that kind of tracks with some of these older games. But, yeah, I mean, this was definitely one of the 
earliest examples of real survival horror. I mean, there is typically no way to actually combat anybody aside from a couple scripted events where you can quickly grab an item. And usually that's in the context of you already being attacked, you know, so you and you have to kind of really check everything to figure out what is what like like in, in that one barn with the jail cell, the one shed, you know, you have that one wooden that one wooden board right there that you use. It's actually interesting because my instinct was actually to use that. But for you, you ended up hiding in the box, which I didn't know you could do, um, <laughs> which doesn't do you any good. If you hide, then uh, Mary finds you anyway. But <laughs> um, but again, the game reloads. So, you know, you could just kind of start it back over and, and try something else, which is fun. There's a little bit of that trial and error aspect. But yeah, uh, I, I like how the, the sequel kind of expands on that a little bit. You know, there are definitely a lot more uh, trap elements to it or, or momentary items that you can grab. And I, I think they did a little bit of a, a a better job with just better hardware. But by no means is this game lacking, I think. I mean, I think for its time, it's especially compelling. I, I think that the atmosphere is super tense um, and creepy. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. kept expecting Scissor Man to pop out anytime I went into a room. There are some rooms that serve no other purpose than to do that, by the way. Totally. Like, for instance, the aforementioned bathroom. Like, that that's totally one of them. Yeah, the bathroom where there's a ballroom yeah. that serves no other purpose than to do that. Um, a couple of the rooms that you get key items that you need to progress or, or, or get to certain scenes of the game are also hot spots, so... There's a little bit of that, you know, oh, hey, shit. Okay, let me run away and then let me come back later. <laughs> yeah, just run away, hide, get, let the threat go away, and then go back and get it. Yeah. And then go back. You know, you kind of breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief. But again, when you're exploring new rooms, you never know, quite know what's going to happen. And you start to see shit shake and you're like, okay. Or maybe you might hear music play. Like, like I, I like how uh, the music room just starts randomly playing music. And then you ended up inspecting the, the little radio player and and that actually ended up turning the music off so that yeah. thing's just coming on by itself that's creepy it sure is yeah when it happened to me i actually thought it was a bug i didn't know why the music started playing and then i inspected something and it stopped <laughs> <laughs> and you never even want to stay too long in a room because shit you know <laughs> homeboy might come out and get you he might but yeah, uh, this game was directed by one Hifumi Kono, who in particular actually wanted to pay homage to uh, uh, Mr. Argento. And uh, I do get that. I mean, there are a lot of real giallo moments in this particular game, you know, which is funny because it happens in Norway. That That's where this is. This is uh, that set in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so apparently he was he was inspired by Italian horror, and if that's not cool to you, I don't know what is. I mean, I mean Italian horror is totally fucking awesome, by the way. I mean, if if you haven't seen stuff like Suspiria or like Fulci's a Zombie or something like that, give 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 it a look. But especially look at Giallo because that that's what this feels like. You know, it feels like uh, maybe Mario Bava or or you know, like you said, Argento. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. Uh, and apparently there was a pretty small budget and staff for this. Uh, this was kind of more of an experimental project, so to speak. I can believe that, yeah. W which is why the game is so short and why it didn't have the mouse support. That makes sense. 
So, uh, and I, I like that, you know, when they ended up having better resources uh, and, and better hardware, they really kind of took this series in a different direction. And I'd love to play through the, all the way through the, the PlayStation 1 game and its sequels to kind of really get that full experience. Because, you know, I like what I, what I saw here. Yeah, Clock Tower 2 on the PlayStation, I will say it's nothing like this game, and it's, it's, I don't really think it's that good. It's not nearly as good as these two games, but it, it, it's probably worth it to try to play through it. I mean, I've tried to play it, and I kind of got stuck somewhere, so. All right, what about the third one, which is apparently completely disconnected? From- the third one is, it almost feels like they, uh, they just took the mechanics of Resident Evil and applied it to this particular style of game, the panic gameplay, you know? Really? They, they really refined it. Like, it's not a point-and-click game anymore. It's more third-person. It's more like third-person, I believe, you know? Okay. So it it has that uh, Capcom aesthetic to it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I Actually, I'll have to check that out. Um, I would like to see a remake of this game. And yeah, yeah. The, uh, PlayStation 1 Clock Tower as well, because, but yeah, I mean, I, I think this game is sorely lacking. I mean, there's no, like, in-game map, for instance. Yeah, there, there's a lot of quality of life features that could be added to this. A lot of quality of life improvements that I think would be nice in a way to bring this, you know, th- this game to a Western audience. I would 100% be down for a remake, or even if there was a good, like, fan remake out there that I'm not aware of. Yeah, maybe there is. I don't know. I'd like to see it because I, I, I really think that there's a lot that could be done. You could really even kind of expand on it, make the game a little bit longer, include some extra alternate endings, go balls to the wall, go Silent Hill with it and have some like weird endings. Yeah, right. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess there's not a whole lot more to say about Clock Tower. I mean, anything else that you wanted to add? Not really. I mean, I kind of struggled to really find much to say about this particular game, you know? I mean, it, it's good for what it is. It definitely is. It, it has replay value, and it definitely has atmosphere that you just didn't really see on the Super Nintendo at that time. So it, it was an interesting playthrough. I, I guess you say that's my final thoughts on the battery. Interesting playthrough. It's worth it to at least emulate it. Yeah, 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 I agree. Um, yeah, I, I think that this game has uh, a very, very tense, uh, intriguing atmosphere. Uh, the sound design in particular is impressive. I like how, you know, just with, with the absence of a lot of, uh, of music, you know, kind of just creates its own design, which is nice. You know, again, there's just kind of that feel of just, listening and despite the fact that it was slow paced i mean until i really got to some of the more subsequent playthroughs that never really bothered me because i felt tense moving and wanting to move slowly through each area to begin with and kind of just taking it in a little bit at a time was a was a fun way to to and enjoy this horror experience yeah it's not a very urgent game to say the to say the least you know even as short as it is I, I will say, yeah, you do need a, you will need a lot of patience to get through this, and uh, expect there to be quite a bit of backtracking. But if you're a fan of any like Metroidvania style type of games, then you won't be a stranger to that sort of thing. Either. Yeah, that that's actually an apt uh, comparison to Metroidvanias. Mm-hmm. So this is like the Metroidvania of uh, survival survival horror, horror point and click games, I guess. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Yeah, 
specifically those three things. But yeah, I recommend it. I mean, it's not hard to get a hold of this game. Uh, just get a good emulator. I recommend RetroArch. It's actually great. I don't know why I ever used other em- emulators to begin with. Because oh, it's the best. Like it's it's the main uh, it's the main like uh, all encompassing emulator you get for the PS Classic if you mod it. Mm-hmm. Along with AutoBleam, so yeah, man, RetroArch, it's really awesome. And there's so many different cores to it, man. There's even an RPG Maker core and everything. There's, I think there's even BIOS cores for like uh, certain uh, arcade machines that you can use only use certain MAME ROMs with. So yeah, yeah, it, it's a really cool emulator, and 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 it's made to kind of feel like the uh, UI of a console like PS3. Yeah, so. yeah, I, I, it is. Uh, I like the whole uh, the whole all-in-one interface. Again, it, it kind of makes me wonder why I ever bothered with other emulators to begin with because it's it's everything up up to like the PS2 era. Yeah, roughly PS2. I mean, I think that there's also emulators for Dreamcast and Saturn and also uh, Atari Jaguar. I mean, I think they even have Wonderswan and uh, Lynx uh, emulators as well. And no Virtual, Virtual Boy. I mean, honestly, next time you uh, boot it up, like look into the load cores and just kind of scroll down there and just see all the stuff that it has. It's 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 really in-depth. Maybe I need to try to play this game on Wonderswan, see how that is. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be a thing. But yeah, I mean, it's not that hard to get set up. You'll just need to download a fan translation patch and you're good to go. Uh, and the translation that I went with actually was fine. I didn't, you know, I understood everything that was going on. Uh, compared at least to its its sequel, I think the story is very bare bones. But again, it definitely captures, I think, that slasher film feel, you know? The giallo slasher film. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's what you have to remember about, you know, it, it goes back to the Italian horror. Like, giallo... That was like the precursor to the slasher movie. Like, like for instance, look at Bay of Blood by Mario Bava. I mean, that directly influenced uh, Friday the 13th. Yeah. Yeah, so. no kidding. But I was pleasantly surprised by it. So I say, give it a shot. Check it out. I mean, you're not really going to be paying any amount of money for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to play it because there's no really way to play it legally without the actual hardware and even then i think you know you would need to have a, a japanese yeah, super you need famicom a, right you need a super famicom yeah because they were region locked right yeah they were so yeah yeah, yeah. unless you are japanese and happen to own, still own a working super famicom you're gonna have to emulate this but i still recommend it and in fact i think that's kind of the best argument for why emulation needs to exist and should be better supported because there are a lot of games that you couldn't otherwise play or that you would need to shell out hundreds of hundreds of dollars to make happen exactly including fire emblem of all things oh man yeah it's a total godsend if you want to just you know find some uh, import game that you know you may have never tried and even even if it's untranslated like if you can get the gist of the gameplay and everything you can just just play it you know yeah, but if you're listening to this episode on Halloween, I definitely recommend giving this game a shot. It's it's very creepy. Uh, play it alone at night with 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 the lights off. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just kind of get fully into the experience. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. But 
Um, I'm glad that we actually decided to talk about this. I mean, we, we did kind of get into uh, uh, Resident Evil quite a bit this month. It's been a fun spooky month and a fun season so far of both Collateral Gaming and Cinema. It's been a very busy month. Like, I guess October's are going to be like our busiest month of podcasting from here on out. So, yeah, yeah it, w- whenever we start our seasons, like, yeah, expect a lot of content to come out in a short amount of time. So, I mean, I'm, I'm about to at least either tonight or tomorrow get the Halloween ends episode together and get that out. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's kind of our bread and butter with collateral media. So, I mean, it, there's always going to be a lot of content going on in October. And uh, yeah, speaking of which, like you said, Halloween ends that should be ready by the time this is out. And uh, yeah, I'm actually was really excited. We talked about that with uh, Jim from Film Rage. That was really cool. Yeah, that was our first uh, Halloween episode with a, a guest host on it. So that was interesting. And as mentioned before, we did do a deep dive into the Resident Evil franchise. Uh, we did uh, Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 2 Remake. Uh, again, collaborating with Collateral Cinema. And for uh, part two, we also had uh, Dan from Victims and Villains. And that was a lot of fun. You were a part of that as well. We did the uh, director's cut as well, uh, Resident Evil director's cut. We did Resident yeah. Evil director's cut on the bonus round. And on Collateral Cinema director's cut, we did uh, Resident Evil and uh, the 2002 film and Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. Yeah, that was just released today. So go and check that out. You know, part of our little double feature for Halloween. Yeah, so if you're starved for uh, survival horror content, look no further. Uh, in fact, we're going to be doing more with that uh, with the Silent Hill franchise later this season, so stick around. Yes, definitely. We're going to do the uh, Silent Hill movie and the first game, right? Or the second one? I, I think so. I think I'd like to do a bonus round on the first game or uh, maybe a couple of them. We'll see. Yeah, we'll, as we'll, we get, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out as we get closer to that. Um, next month with, uh, collateral gaming, we are going to be talking about stray and then we're going to be getting ready for the release of God of war Ragnarok. And you better believe that I am hyped for that because, uh, the original God of war, I think is in my top five video games of all time. Sorry. I said the original God of war. What I meant was God of war 2018. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, the original is too based for you. (laughs) <laughs> it's too based for you, Ash. No, I just really like what they did with the 2018 game. I think it's it's fantastic. And I haven't actually got into uh, a lot of the other, uh, the original uh, trilogy of games or the various spinoffs, which are a little bit more hack and slash oriented. But uh, yeah, I am so hyped for God of War Ragnarok. Uh, we're going to be picking up part one of that next month. Uh, that's going to be our spoiler free game launch review. And then we're going to be doing our uh, full spoiler review part two as our holiday special in December. Excellent. That month, we're also going to be doing uh, the legend of Zelda, a link between worlds. And we do plan on uh, having Mr. Dan Rockwood from victims and villains return for that episode. So coolness. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love uh Zelda games. Anybody that follows this podcast knows that we are Zelda lovers. So, uh, yeah. And we are also talking about a upcoming Zelda game this season. So, (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Hint, hint. Wink, wink. Um, That's what's coming out for the rest of this year. What's going on with Collateral Cinema, Bo? Well, like I said, we're going to have our Halloween Ends episode out here shortly, at least by tomorrow. And in November, we will be tackling Rocky 2. We, we did Rocky on the podcast maybe 
two or three seasons ago, I want to say. It was one of my first episodes, actually. Oh, yeah, it was. That was yeah, back right. in season one. It was season one. That's right, wasn't yes, it? Yes, sir. Damn. That was a while ago. <laughs> so, yeah, we're doing Rocky 2, and then we're going to kind of continue our little thing with the, the Monster Squad doing, like, the kids' team movies, you know, and we're going to do The Goonies. That was one of my picks this season, and, yeah, uh, yeah I'm actually really excited about that because that, that's just a... That's just a childhood classic for me. It is. <laughs> and on the director's cut, we're going to be doing a commentary this month. We're going to be doing the live-action Wicked City movie. So look for that. Fuck yeah. I think we were actually approached by someone. Yeah, yeah. Or, or uh, no, it was a Twitter. It was uh, a, our Twitter follow. follower, Sean Bateman. He uh, he uh, asked us to do it. So it's like, all right, we'll go, go and do it. Fuck yeah. And and on our, and you know, we also have commentaries on our Patreon, you know, one to five dollar tiers. You know, we got full length commentaries and we're gonna have a lot more content coming on that very soon. So become a patron and we will we will have new content out very soon. Ah, Patreon. Uh, if you're not following Collateral Gaming on Patreon, which I know you're not because we don't currently have any patrons. We did have one. Maybe he resubscribed. I'll have to double check. Yeah. Maybe somebody else subscribed. I'll have to double check. But uh, yeah, check out, uh, donate any amount of money and you'll get access to our exclusive Let's Play video game commentaries. More to come as soon as I get the hardware to do it because my capture card fucked up on me. Damn it. God damn it. Damn it. But uh, hey, that's a problem easily remedied with more money from the Patreon. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Buy, buy us a new uh, capture card, people. <laughs> buy us a new capture card, please. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I have so many ideas with what to do with that. Um, also, check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The same goes for Collateral Cinema. If you like movies and video games, pop culture, podcasts, then uh, check out our shitposting group, Collateral Media Podcasts. Yeah, that's on Facebook. And we do have a Discord. I mean, it's not very active. We need more followers on Discord, so follow us there. And actually, we might have a subreddit. I don't yep. know. We might actually have a subreddit, so I might have to put some work into that. So, <laughs> <laughs> fuck yeah, man. Well, Bo, thank you for being uh, more active this this season. I know you, we've still got some more stuff coming out later this season that you want to be involved with. So oh yeah, oh yeah. That's that's been a lot of fun, and I'm excited for uh, both podcasts this season. I mean, this is definitely going to be a fun season. It already has been. It already has been. Yeah. And uh, so you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, uh, YouTube. If there is anywhere we are not, let us know. If you are a podcaster, streamer, gamer, fan, listener, hit us up if you want to be on the podcast because we're looking for guests. Oh, yes. We are always looking for guests for both podcasts. So, yeah. By the way, happy Halloween, Bo. Happy Halloween, man. It's officially midnight. As it's officially midnight. It is officially Halloween. Hell yeah, guys. <laughs> officially I, Halloween. I think that's a perfect place to end it. It's a perfect place to end it. Exactly. So, guys, have a safe and happy Halloween. Uh, if there are any, if there's anybody in the local San Antonio area who is uh, giving out uh, decent quality drugs to children, let me know their address. <laughs> give me their details. Yes, so, we, need, we need all the drugs. I want to give them a stern talking to. Yeah, right. Stern oh my God, that's disgusting. Where? <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> That being said, I have been Ashley Chancellor. And I am the blob at the end of Clock Tower. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I guess. No, I'm, I'm Bo Maddox. <laughs> and this has been Collateral Gaming. Happy Halloween, folks. Collateral Gaming is a collateral media podcast. All music and game clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.